Welcome back to Inspiring Neighbors podcast, where we showcase seemingly ordinary people with extraordinary stories. On today's episode, we had my dear friend, Stephanie Olivella. We had a, we found a great coincidence as you guys met. Yeah, that was awesome. I love finding coincidences <laughs> like that. I loved meeting Steph. And yeah, like you said, it turned out that she's much closer to us than I knew. She actually teaches at the same school that my son goes to. So that was bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> that was a... very cool. I feel like it made the conversation a bit more personal than we were expecting when you could connect on on the grounds that she's she's not just an amazing teacher, but she could potentially be your, your kid's yeah, teacher. Yeah, I'm excited. I knew it would be nice to have her on because she's gone through such an interesting journey of finding her way to her career path. And it hasn't been easy. It definitely hasn't been straight, a uh, straight path, but she's really persevered on. And I think it's, I'm, I'm amazed by how she's grown through that journey and, and found what seems to be the perfect thing for her being a teacher. She was awesome. This is a reoccurring theme, but I love how open all our guests have been mm -hmm. and Steph was no exception. She was very open in talking about some challenging topics like mental health. And I could see that being a huge asset, I guess, in, in the work that she does because it's so, it's so empowering for the kids to be themselves and own themselves. And, and yeah, it was, it was so inspiring to watch her do that. It does make me feel better about the future Thinking about people like Steph uh, being around to support kids through uh, through the hard process of growing up to to be good people and take care of themselves and, and all that and under, understand themselves. So I agree. So with that, please enjoy Stephanie Olivella. Let's talk to our neighbors because everyone can inspire the inspiring neighbors podcast like Jafar. And then you breathe in, and then when you get to the top, you stop for three seconds, and then you breathe out, and then you breathe in, and stop, and then you breathe out, Cute. And, then you do, and then you do it as many times as you need to calm down. I love that. I'm already calm. <laughs> and then I also say a lot of like, big problem, little problem, like, where are we? Tommy's teacher taught him there's glitches and there's problems yeah and glitches are not as big mm. and now i just tell him everything is a glitch <laughs> it's, like, it's a glitch <laughs> the thing is it's, it's like it's tough because it's all relative like yeah. it's like when we learn the like first world problems which yeah. i don't even like do we know better than to say that anymore i don't know but <laughs> but but when we was very popular talking about first world problems it's like i mean everything is a first world problem nothing is a real problem like mostly nothing is a real problem yeah so it's all if you're not My thing having is like, a heart attack, it's a glitch. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But when you're trying to bring someone down from a panic attack, it's mm. like, mm, big problem, little problem. Like, are you playing tricks on yourself mm. and telling yourself that you are going to die when in reality it's like, it's okay that you broke your pencil. Like, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> Nothing is going to be, you know, dead because of this. Do you have to take like a moment to acknowledge that they broke the pencil and that's really sad or do you go straight to because i have like a reaction where i go straight to it's okay like don't freak out it's okay i gotta stop this train before it like takes off or what i, I think found. like for me it's 
it's sort of different because I do struggle with mental health and like I have anxiety and stuff. And so I'm very aware of acknowledging the feelings because I know and I've been there. Like this week I had to bring down a kid from a panic attack and was like, I can see where you are. I can see the train. We need to get you off that train. And this is how we're going to talk through it. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, like the gut reaction or the, like the, the, you know like the immediate reaction i was like no it is valid like i know yeah. what you're feeling this is valid but the world's not gonna end and you'll you'll get to the other side mm-hmm. um so yeah it's a little bit different than, yeah. than being like it's okay it's okay it's okay because sometimes when you go the it's okay you invalidate their reality and invalidate how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way and so yeah. it's just like no you're allowed your feelings and go through the motions and like mm-hmm. ride the wave which is just how we write it anyways it's amazing yeah. You do good work. <laughs> it's <Yes>. debatable. <laughs> here, here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the verbal, the, the verbal stems are a thing, just like the repeating random stuff. Sorry, if you didn't know, I'm highly ADHD, like severely ADHD. <laughs> Maybe we can get into that. But what's a what's a verbal stem? Yeah. What's a verbal stem? Yeah. Um, when like you repeat something, like. Have you ever had that feeling where you have like an earworm and you have like a little piece of a song in your head? Oh, yeah. And you just like keep saying it and saying it. that's a verbal stim. Like it's something that is giving you like a little rush of dopamine and you oh. don't realize that you're doing it. And so for me, like I repeat stuff a lot. Like oh people God, say something I that I think it's funny or it's things that just like stick in my head for a second. And I would just like <laughs> just repeat it to oh my myself. Oh, my God, I like, do this. Oh. Richard does this all the time. Of course. <laughs> just like, I didn't, I didn't know, know this was this a thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, I'll be like, uh, we need to go at five. And he'll be like, we need to go at five. Like, whatever. Like, do a six finger. <laughs> it's better than that. But yeah, but yeah it'll just confirm things I say. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. No. Do you this do that? is amazing. I do <laughs> totally. Do that. But for hours, like the rest yeah. of the day, I'll yeah. be like. 100%. It's usually now. It's usually like someone said something in Spanish. And I'll just say, la puerta. La puerta. Like for yeah. hours. La puerta. Yeah. La puerta. <laughs> it's like, it's just like a mild, mild level of like, Colelia. It's just like, me, me. Just like the little parrot. Um, but yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> oh, interesting. And then I get in my head because I do it and I know that I'm doing it and people look at me and I was like, hmm, what's wrong mm. with her? I'm like, nothing. I but they don't like, hear you doing it. You're doing it in your head. Yeah, yeah, I do it in my head, but sometimes like I would say it like Just out accidentally loud. say it, just, La Puerta. I like, mm-hmm. yeah. like, just say things. <laughs> That's, That's ridiculous. Good. That's a good icebreaker. Like, oh, my Lord. Anyways, have we started yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. We've been recording. <laughs> it's, one of my tricks is click record while nobody's watching. <laughs> yeah. So like, we just have our entire intro. intro. Thank you. Yeah. Well, welcome, Stephanie. Welcome to our studio. You are the first, as Angela said, you're the first guest we've had this year. Oh my god! In our studio, it's so privileged. Thank you what for you having think? me. It's really cozy. Now you're on the I spot. Really like it. No, it's really cozy. I like it. This, I feel like it's what. It's like the fully baked idea of a hobby. Like I really want to do this, and then you fully baked it. It's really nice. Like. Yeah, I have to give credit to Laura for that because when it was just my <laughs> my thinking, it was just this table in the middle of the room and everyone was piled around, around the table. And then Laura was like, we got to do something. <laughs> One thing that like surprises me is how you were able to fit these couches. Like if I saw these couches outside of this room yeah. and then thought about, I'd be like, well, that's going to be too crammed. Like it's barely going to fit. That. 
but it's so cool it has such a cozy effect it does yeah yeah i said that to laura like, no they don't fit we can't get them brilliant and she's like no they will. Yeah. <laughs> watch me yeah watch me fit them. <laughs> oh i wanted to say if you see me on my phone i'm not texting someone I'm reading notes. Just disinterested in what I need to say. Yeah, just stop. If you see me on my phone, stop talking and just walk out because I'm not yeah. interested. Fair anymore. enough. Okay. I have to do. I have like a the double, um, thing authentication thing on my phone, and then I bring out my phone quite often during uh, class. And I was like, "You're on your phone." It's like, no, I need to access my computer. Oh, uh, kids are amazing at that. And they're like, "Are you on TikTok?" And I was like, "I don't have TikTok. I'm a million years old. I don't do TikToks." I think you feel older because of the job you work in. Yes, absolutely. I don't. Think but you're I also, that I old. also no. But I also feel like they they aged me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, I'm I an old that, grumpy yeah. lady. Yeah, and I was like, mm, they no. do age you. <laughs> But at the same time, you're in touch with what the what the youths are up oh, to, 100%. aren't you? Like, you yeah. feel more connected to the... I am, but I'm like... Uh, like, have you seen that meme with Steve Buscemi that he's like wearing uh, just like a ball cap and is wearing, like, has like a... I think it's a boombox or a roller skater or like something. And he goes like, hello, youths. That's how I feel all the time. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they're talking about. I've just heard it enough. And I was like, oh, yes, this. Like, the other day, they were like uh yeah do you play fortnite and like no i don't and then i made a quip <laughs> during class but I was like oh yeah like fortnite and they're like hmm, no senora no you don't even know how to play i'm like yes fine busted <laughs> so i just feel like super yeah they that put you in like, your place <laughs> yeah fine <laughs> they're good at that too <laughs> the tone. Yeah, for- fortnite's not a board game <laughs> It's funny they asked you if you play Fortnite. Like, you have all this time when you leave school. Yes, absolutely. It's just all free time. Yeah, it's all the time in the world. The amount of work that actually goes in after hours so that I can go in and do my job is insane. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, just to be able to get to the point of actually doing my job. Mm-hmm. Just playing with the kids. Seriously. <laughs> I often have the thought, like, could I come up with a lesson plan? Oh, do you God. do do it every day or do you like plan for like a week? I used to do it every day and that's unsustainable because then I would go home, shower, make din- or make dinner, shower and then sit down and work. Mm-hmm. And like I would have no family life or life at all and it was really sad. Uh, <laughs> so, now, <laughs> so now I try to plan my week, like the whole arc. And then I also like every so often I would spend when we were changing units, I would spend the time to plan the whole arc of the unit mm. so i know where i'm going yeah um but yeah it's a lot so it is a lot normally it's a week when it's really really busy i'll plan day by day but that just falls off the tracks really really fast because i don't know i can't see where i'm going yeah and so if i don't plan enough it's like and now this tab dance interlude because I don't, that's not true but <laughs> but i i kind of feel ill-prepared if i don't know where i'm going and what i want to do so i tend to like make the whole arc yeah. uh plan and then just like split it into weeks very interesting which is not a lot of work it's fascinating like my dad was a teacher he's retired now but i would watch him do things like this and like he'd be grading at night like mm-hmm. checking exams so yeah they work. you guys work a lot yep it's well. a lot but that's fun i like it 
yeah. <laughs> does it make you feel differently or think differently about the teachers you had growing up yes and no like i got into teaching sort of in a convoluted way because i knew that like i've always known that i wanted to do something in service of others like i knew i wanted to be like i don't know like i also have the attention span of a fish so when i was deciding what to do at 17 which is crazy that you have to make your life decision at that time mm-hmm. um i was like well maybe i'll be like a social worker or i'll be i don't know things like that like i knew it was always in serve like in relation to service to others um but i didn't think that i was cut to be a teacher because when I was growing up, I I just learned differently and I had teachers that told me, I was like, you're not gonna cut it, like you're mm-hmm. not very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really stuck to me and sort of re-educating my brain and rewiring my brain with like, no, that's exactly why I should do it mm. because I could be that difference for a child that has been told that they're not good enough and I know where they're coming from. It's like, no, actually, if we try this different things, you are good enough and even more. Um, so for the teachers that I had that weren't very nice, um, I did have a lot of apprehension of, well, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that kind of teacher that brings kids down. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be someone that's like, okay, this is what we have right now. And how do we make a plan to help you get where you want to get? Um, so I think my perception of the teachers that I had growing up, some of them were super inspiring and was like, I want to be that teacher, but I didn't have them very often. I, I think I remember two. One was a science teacher when I was in like grade four um, that was really inspiring because the way that he taught just jived with my brain and was like, I can remember and I know things. Uh-huh. Uh, and then my uh, English literature teacher in high school was another person that was like super inspiring it was like i want to be you um but the rest of them were like you're just a very smart girl mm-hmm. like well okay uh so i kind of like remember the bad ones to be like don't want to be that um and i remember the two or three that i found inspiration from to be like okay if i can be some semblance of what they wear for me then i'm doing a good job mm-hmm. yeah so school wasn't that easy wasn't that enjoyable for me no i'm i struggled when i was little because i don't know if you guys had that when you were growing up but like you know when like children are told like you could do whatever you want you're so smart and you just need to be like more disciplined and Mm. you just need to try harder and in my head i was like but i am trying hard like this is incredibly hard for me and i'm giving you my all and i'm still not good enough and i wouldn't be like even close to the the curve of mediocrity in my class like I was always behind um and I just like found it really really hard and then as I grew up I realized that that was also the conversation that I was having with myself and that I think that's where a lot of anxieties and self-doubt started coming from because you have this feedback loop of people that are supposed to help you grow and help your brain develop that are telling you it's like well you need to be more disciplined, you need to study more, you need to do all of these things. And I was doing that, but it just wasn't being effective in the way that I was doing it, but no one was teaching me how to. Mm -hmm. So it was hard. 
emotionally because I, I was mm-hmm. trying and mm-hmm. I, it wasn't for a lack of trying that I wasn't succeeding um, and it was hard as a growing person of being like well you're telling me that I'm smart and, and you're telling me that I can do whatever I can I want to do but in reality I can't mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. these are the results um, so yeah it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't fun at all and I also went to in Colombia I went to this very regimented very like you fit in the square kind of school yeah um and it wasn't like the school sort of adjusting to your needs and the way that you learn it was like no one size fits all and if you don't fit this size then you're dumb um and that was really hard and then until my mom decided and was like call it quits and was like no you you're wasting your childhood and wasting yourself trying to fit into the small and then Mm -hmm. we changed schools and that was eye-opening it was like so different what grade was that grade nine i think Mm. um and and it was the first time that i actually felt like i belonged because i was bullied my entire life like relentlessly and i just like didn't fit in at all and then just the change of scenery was just like oh actually i can i can have friends mm-hmm. or I, I i can do things um and that sort of set me in the path of well maybe i want to do something in relation to others and in service to others because that's that's what i saw when i when i made the switch mm-hmm. so yeah wow what do you think it was about the grade four teacher or the english lit teacher that Mm, so my science teacher like I remember him so vividly and he he was he's it's funny because he's a person that came into my life later again um so he was just dynamic like he just like wasn't like here's worksheets and like this is how everyone learns like I remember have this vivid memory of being in his classroom and remember the like him teaching us the water cycle and he mm-hmm. made this rap of the water cycle and we were standing on our chairs and like rapping the entire way and I'm like I'm however old I am mm-hmm. <laughs> and I still remember it and it was like it was not for a test or it wasn't for a quiz or it wasn't for anything it was like just for the sake of learning mm-hmm. that he was teaching it was like this is a cool thing that you guys should learn yes it's part of the curricular expectations but they're cool yeah. and so the fact that he loved it so much just transpired into everything that he did Mm -hmm. and i remember like all the stuff that he did i remember just because he loved it so much um and it was more of a vocation so yeah like i remember the rap and it's been however many years and then my other teacher that was really inspirational was the same thing like she just had a genuine love for just reading and books and just talking about it that it was just like awesome Mm -hmm. um and I think that's why they they just stuck to me. And like that science teacher then was a, uh, he was a translator. And I remember my mom when I moved to Canada. I remember my mom had to translate my my high school diploma and all of the stuff. Oh, yeah. And she just happened to go to him and was like, he read my name and he just lit up and was like, I know your daughter. Aww. Like I remember her. She was in my class. She was so sweet. Blah blah blah. And my mom just like loved it was like i can't believe that you remember her like she's in her 20s or like horrible or old i was um so that that really stuck to me and like still in my heart because it was like someone that genuinely loved Mm. what they did rather than it being just a job yeah besides school what were you like as a kid what did you like to do what do you remember what was i like as a kid it depends who you ask um (laughs) my mom and i have 
uh, somewhat bizarre, really <laughs> close relationship. Um, so it was always, I think I was happy regardless of the trauma that came with growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't particularly difficult. It's just that my family life was difficult for a big stint there. Um, and then that also seeped into my self-perception, which I feel... I feel really sad for kids that go through this and now it's an adult I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Because mm -hmm. uh, that sucks and it's really hard to rewire your brain. Mm -hmm. um, but you do start believing a whole bunch of negative talk that becomes part of your whole identity and that happened really early in my life for me and rewriting that was really really hard so i don't think i was a particularly difficult kid i was just busy and i like had a lot of interests mm -hmm. that didn't last very long um and growing up like my dad moved here when i was probably 10 i think and then having, like, to grow with, like, my mom, um, because my dad wasn't around, was difficult because she was also working and she had to travel a lot and she yeah. wasn't around. And so um, it was hard to have a, sort of like a steady foundation of where I was in space while my brain was playing tricks on me and saying mm -hmm. that I wasn't enough or, like, you know, like, all of those things that when I didn't have someone constantly around regardless of the fact that my mom was an incredibly loving person mm -hmm. and she was like my biggest advocate and like she like she has not a bad hair in her head like she's great but that just didn't matter because my own self-talk was just so negative um mm. and i didn't feel like it was good for anything really so that also was like okay i want to try this like i tried piano and violin and guitar and none of that was enough because i would try it and because i wasn't perfect and ideal and like mm -hmm. there's unrealistic like thing that i had in my head then i was that was another piece of evidence for me to say it was like well it's because you're dumb mm -hmm. um and you're not good enough but so i think that's the overtone of me growing up until i reached critical mass when i was like maybe like 14 15 and i was diagnosed with depression and like i had to deal with that and that's when i was changed my mom decided to change uh one school for the other and i was allowed the space to bring down the expectations so that i could heal a little bit did the diagnoses of adhd and depression did they help so my adhd was interesting because someone told my mom that i was like hmm, maybe she has adhd when i was about six yeah. and my mom was like mm, are you saying that or is it because she is not living up to the expectations of a six-year-old of being like quiet and she sitting. doesn't fit this mold yeah so maybe so something. she she didn't really pursue that um and i was talking to this to, about this with my mom recently and she was like it was really awful in the way that they said it because she remembers going into the principal's office when i was little and the psychologist was there and the school counselor and pretty much they were like oh your daughter has this but it's your fault like you're not an involved parent you she's like not being educated well enough at home yeah. and that's why she's like this like no one really gave her any steps or feedback to be like oh no this could be an a hurdle that she has to go through 
as she's growing up, it was more like pointing fingers yeah. to my mom and how awful of a mom she was. And she's like, well, I'll screw you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she never really paid attention to that because she didn't feel like it was like mm-hmm. actually something that was happening to me. It was more like the environment. Yeah. And so when I when I actually got diagnosed with ADHD, I was an adult. I was like 19. No, I was older, like in my early 20s. Um, so knowing and naming it was a breath of fresh air because then i got resources that helped me Mm -hmm. get into a path of being successful and being efficient with the way that i learned and the way that i was doing things so that was that was really really helpful and then when i was a teenager and i was diagnosed with depression it it helped me feel like I wasn't going crazy, that there was definitely something that was going on. Yeah. Um, but then also the resources that I was giving weren't the resources that I needed at the time. Right. So like putting a kid on antidepressants, it's not the greatest thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like all I needed was to talk through it. And I'm one of like, I don't know if you're the same, but like I'm one of the those people that I need to verbalize my emotions and I process while I'm talking and drives my partner nuts because I'm just like, okay, just sit there and listen while I ramble because I really don't need you to listen. I just like need to say it so that I can hear myself saying it. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's what I really needed. Um, and I have like a whole bunch of trauma in my life. Like I moved to Canada because, um, well, so I should back up a little bit. I moved to Canada because of my dad mm-hmm. and my dad moved to Canada because I don't know if you guys know anything well, you guys do, but in general, like Colombia has a very tumultuous history of mm-hmm. civil unrest. And my dad was one of the people that actually went through the process. And so he had to leave. And so he moved to Canada. My parents divorced when I was nine or 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he moved to Canada. And so that also seeps into who I am, who my siblings are. Yeah. Um, and me being the oldest, that that was something that was really, really traumatic. And we really never talked about it. Mm-hmm. We've never really actually sat down and decompressed and sort of like dissect how that affect me as a child. Because I'm the one that remembers it all. Or how it affect our relationship and how I relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, we never talked about it because that is just so quintessentially like Latin American of, and especially for males, just like, well, this happened, this sucked, and you dust yourself off and you carry on. And you get over it. And yeah. you get over it. So they gave you prescription. Mm-hmm. And that probably did a whole bunch of other random things to you as well. And did it help at all? No, it didn't. Okay. Like, it, it was a very short-lived because I'm not prescribing anything. Like, this is just my experience. And, like, ask a medical professional and mm-hmm. all that. Like, <laughs> But for me, it wasn't the right thing thing because all it did was make me feel numb like I wasn't really going to the root of my problem and the root of why I was feeling that way and it just made me feel just dull and numb you're hiding it yeah and like I I went on anxiety medication later on in my life and like I've gone on and off medication rent like different medication for different things and I think the the key of the success of the medication for me was having a system of support and a system around me that allowed me to 
process what I was feeling um, rather than just being like, this is the one solution. Like, this is the magic that is going to make you feel better. Yeah. It did make me feel better in the sense that I wasn't in a corner crying uh, or just like, you know, like not wanting to go to school. Mm-hmm. But it really didn't help me at the time to solve what was underneath and to yeah you know to get to the cause of it um Be heard exactly and so i think what did it was the first thing was the change of environment and i think my mom made the right call of like well this this environment that you're in yes it might be very prestigious and it might be like super fancy and all that but it's not right for you and we need to pull the plug on this Mm -hmm. because i don't want my child to sort of flirt with the idea of not being around anymore yeah um and that that was just fundamental for me to my road of feeling better and feeling seen and acknowledged was the fact that she pulled the plug and was like well and just just start with changing the environment yeah but it sounds like once you once you started to be in a safe place where you could talk about it and verbalize it and like you said just say the words out of your mouth mm-hmm. then things started to yeah and you said when you're on when you're on the medication you didn't go into the corner and cry so maybe it helped <laughs> that but what i thought was maybe you needed to go into a corner and cry <laughs> yeah but for people that have experienced being othered it's really it's really interesting when you are in an environment for so long and that feeling othered, which was my experience for a really big chunk of my life at that point was, mm-hmm. well, I'm not good enough at school. I'm not bright because my grades are crap. I'm not doing very well. The friendships that I have are not friendships that I feel are stable. Mm-hmm. And I'm also being made fun of and bullied just for the sake of existing like i'm not doing anything out of my way to you know grant being made fun of but it's just happening Mm -hmm. and i was being victimized just because they could and so having the space to not reinvent myself but the space to actually get to know myself without take like without all of those things around me was incredibly healing mm-hmm. and by the time i switched schools when i was little well not little because i was 15 um but by the time i switched schools that that was the first time that it allowed me to get to know myself yeah. and get to interact with people and i think that was the first time that i actually felt like i had friends and mm-hmm. felt like i belonged somewhere and i wasn't so othered yeah. and like the environment that the school that i went to was really good for that um but it's interesting, like full circle now that I'm on the other end of the spectrum and I'm the adult in the room yeah. watching these things happen. You don't really realize how much is going through little people's brains mm-hmm. because sometimes as adults, we think it was like little problem. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah. And you dismiss it. And it's like, no, but this is my reality. And as, mm-hmm. and as a person being formed, this is yeah. fundamental to who I am and it's gonna be in my marrow and this is one of the things that is either gonna make me or break me yeah thank you for sharing all of that oh no that's fine I think it's so important that it's said because mm. I'm just speaking for myself now as a parent I'm quick to say oh that's not a big deal mm-hmm. Tommy that's not a big deal and then I have to think about it and often Laura will be the one to remind you remind me that just 
even 30 seconds of just acknowledging what's happening that he's having big feelings regardless of what's causing it is the most important step and often like the flipped lid comes back down pretty yeah. quick after but even even the, the the language that we use to acknowledge children's feelings is interesting because we say you're having big feelings mm. like are they necessarily big or are they just feelings and they're just new to you mm. because as a as a seven eight year old who's just struggling with anxiety or feeling unsafe or it's like without trying to dismiss them they are big feelings but they're also big because i'm just getting to know them and i'm yeah. experiencing mm -hmm. them for the first time yeah. so when when we use the language it's like oh you're having big feelings it, it kind of has that tone of like it's fine you're okay it's yeah. like well no my feelings are valid and they are big because i'm just getting to know them and yeah. i need you to acknowledge them so that i know how to deal with them in a healthy and safe way rather than let them consume me yeah and so that that i think is fundamental in the way that i i sort of acknowledge the kiddos that go through my classes like well yes you're allowed to feel all those feelings even if you want to like flip a table and get mad and like mm -hmm. you do whatever it's like that that is allowed and you are allowed to feel that and mm -hmm. you're allowed to ride that wave because what you're going through right now is is absolutely real and it's absolutely okay for where you are in your life right now. It's just that my job is just to hold your hand and help you navigate those those feelings so that you feel like you're you're you know, you have someone next to you and you're not going yeah. through that alone. Yeah. So and you feel safe sharing yeah. all of them. Yeah. It's amazing. It's such an important lesson. I see it like being more and more, um, I guess, educated mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it makes me grateful because 15 years ago, this wasn't the case. People weren't mm -hmm. acknowledging all these feelings. And that's one of the things I noticed about Steph is like, you don't have to, I find people don't have to know you very long before you'll talk about ADHD and how this is part of your life and part of things you're dealing with and how you've dealt with that your whole life and mm -hmm. how how it presents in your personality or in the way you behave and i think it, like the whole thing i think is one i think it's just like the advisory <laughs> like the parental advisory like sticker on knowing me because i do have a lot of social anxiety in And I beat myself up a lot because I like would say something and then I just sit there and was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Um, and I think that sometimes when I say it and I like explain myself, it's like, oh, like my brain goes a mile a minute. Um, I feel like it allows me to be more genuine to who I am mm -hmm. and letting people know. I was like, you can take it or leave it. I, I'm okay with who I am right now. Um, and I think that's, To be fair, I think that's a little bit sad that my brain and I just feel the need to be like, oh, it's because of this. It's not because of the being ADHD or being an anxious person or being, you know, who I am. It's, it's, I think it's that knee-jerk reaction of having to explain myself. Mm -hmm. But also, I'm a huge advocate for neurodiversity in the sense that it's like not everyone's gonna think the same way and mm -hmm. not everyone acts the same way and i think that's what makes it interesting yeah um and knowing other people and like mm -hmm. 
that is something that I'm just getting to the other side of the bridge and feeling okay with. I I am a very... I think I describe myself as a social porcupine, and it's not because I'm a social porcupine, it's because I'm scared of people. Uh, and I'm scared of being rejected because I, again, I talk a lot. And I'm, I'm bubbly, but I'm not. And I'm just kind of like prickly if you get to know me. Um, and all of those things make me very self-conscious and social interactions the first thing that will come within the five, 10 minutes of having a conversation with me, if you're just getting to know me, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm like super easy and I'm so sorry that my brain is going so fast and I'm so sorry that I took over and I'm like, I, I feel the need of apologizing mm-hmm. for something that is intrinsically who I am. Yeah. That I'm just constantly apologizing for for just being myself and feel, I feel like I need to acknowledge that I take space and the space that I take is enough and it's not taking space from others kind of thing. Um, so, And that's so important. I would say from what I've experienced, and I'm kind of leaning on my career because I noticed later, like after 10 years of working and kind of hiding who I really was, at some point something clicked. And I would go into meetings and I would immediately do something that only Trevor would do. And I would like the fear of being an idiot or being laughed at was for some reason, I don't know why, but it was gone. Mm -hmm. And the faster I could get to being who I am, the more comfortable I was and the better everything went. It just went so smoothly. And I think that's where where I'm at at the moment. Like I feel like I spent my 20s being really anxious because masking who I was made me more anxious mm-hmm. and made me lose f- friends more easily and more often yeah. than just being me and having the people that actually enjoyed me for me mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, because the masking was exhausting. It was just super tiring. I would have this like giant panic attacks of just having to go into a social interaction like mm-hmm. you know when you're in university and you are in your 20s and it's like oh my gosh i'm going to this party and mm-hmm. like that would just send me on the biggest tailspin yeah. and it was just like so unhealthy and i remember like early in my 20s i would just go to a social event and trying to mask and to me it was like well i'm gonna drink so that i can like put myself through this but then i would make an idiot of myself because I was drinking and mm-hmm. you know like that just was unhealthy and unsustainable and by yeah. the time I realized I was like well I have all of this toxic and healthy coping mechanisms that are only allowing people to be comfortable yeah but not allowing me to be comfortable right. then why am I doing that to myself like I need to stop being so so I don't know masochistic and be like no it's okay like if people want to be around me then they should know who i am like i i shouldn't have to feel the need to mask who i am and in some ways what you're saying is there's a filter there to filter out people that Mm -hmm. make sense to be to keep around you and, Mm -hmm. and don't but from my experience i think there's two things and one is the obvious surface like creating awareness about neural diversity mm-hmm. that. and um and and what that means and how it's everywhere and and how we deal with it and we can talk about it and it's not um kind of a secret or something that's that's shouldn't be discussed but um on the on the much deeper level i think when you are yourself 
both of you you from experience make others feel more comfortable being themselves Mm -hmm. so when you are saying you know you were putting on a mask to make others more comfortable probably that wasn't the effect Mm -hmm. probably the effect just as likely if not more was making people more feel like they have to put on a mask Mm -hmm. and and not be themselves so i think when you present yourself fully um as early as possible then then yeah there will be some sort of filtering but i think even more you will attract more the people that Mm -hmm. that um you can connect with and and that's the other thing like i i'm pretty comfortable with where i'm at and like with the fact that i you know like I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with trusting people and like I I think it's funny because I say it's like well I don't really have a lot of lasting friendships like I see people that are like huh that's what it looks like like I see people that have like their friends from like Mm -hmm. middle school and high school I'm like what is this magic I I don't have that that. yeah how did you do that or like oh yeah we've been friends for 20 years and like excuse you how Mm -hmm. does that happen I feel like I don't have that and I'm really critical of myself for that and I was talking to my partner the other day and was like what are you talking about like you've been how long in Canada and it's like well this many years and I was like yeah but you have friends for like 10 years or you've had friends for this long and Mm. and it's not that I have an inability of holding on to friendships is that the friendships that I have I'm really grateful now and I'm starting to see their true value is that they recognize that I I'm not the person that will text you every day Mm -hmm. or like call you every day I'm like hi do you want to like talk that that's not who I am but Mm -hmm. I am the person that would be unconditionally there mm-hmm. just quietly yeah. looming around if you want to talk to me yeah um and the other things like angela and i were talking about this too uh recently is that my social battery needs charging more or at least my perception is that it needs charging more often than maybe other people it's mm-hmm. like it, it depletes really easily and being in social interactions it's 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 a task yeah it's it's really hard and i i get exhausted from it and it's like i love you and i want to be with you and i want to hang out but maybe like once a month (laughs) Mm -hmm. because i need that long to be like okay cool like i want to socialize again um and i think that's also that that piece of maybe advocacy and Mm -hmm. just being honest is the well this is this is who i am Mm -hmm. you can take it um or you can leave it and then the people that are around are the people that are that sort of take me at face value and mm-hmm. understand that's that's just what it is and those are the ones you want around exactly you. yeah mm-hmm. and when you say like we talk about neurodiversity and it sounds it's easy to make it sound like it's a box it's like you check an adhd box but it's from my limited amount of expert experience is more like a spectrum right like when it you is, talk yeah. about having anxiety or you talk about having a a social battery that you need to recharge i find overwhelmingly i relate to what you're talking about rather than feel like oh that's a total foreign concept to me like yeah. it may be different degrees it may be different things at different times it present itself but but i relate a lot to what you're talking about and so it makes me feel more like huh yeah <laughs> this is how you deal with things yeah. that i deal with interesting and that's that's the other thing like and especially with children like being being a teacher that's one of the first things that come out 
when we start school, we talk a lot about growth mindset and we talk about like just allowing your brain to make those connections and all that. And that's one of the things that I share because you teach who you are. And I I am who I am. Like my brain just works in maybe a different way, but it really isn't that different. Just, mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of people that just bounce from one idea to another and then just like, organically move from one interest to another. And I think it's empowering to kids, especially the kids with the diagnosis or kids that struggle or kids that like find it hard to read or write or anything like that, just to be like, oh, the person that is actually guiding my learning journey also struggles mm-hmm. and she's there and she's on the other side. So that piece of advocacy, I think is super important for me to share one, because as I said, like in my head, like I have this like need to explain myself but also it's the fact that it's like well it's more common than you think and i shouldn't be hiding it or excusing it because it's not it's not something to be ashamed of it's just the way that i function and that's it like i can be equally as efficient and effective in whatever job that i do as the next per- the person next to me or even better, because I get to hyper-focus and I hyper-fixate on things and I don't have a shut-off bottom. Having having those conversations, I think it also takes away the stigma or the misinformation of what it actually looks like. Yeah, You can do whatever you want as long as you can channel your energy and you can learn how to learn effectively. And I think that was the biggest hurdle that I had to learn growing up was I just need someone to teach me how to learn effectively because mm-hmm. um, that was my biggest shortcoming and once I did that I was like actually I can be highly productive and I can do all of these things mm-hmm. um, and help me rewire the way that I think about myself it's I'm so I'm like so filled with gratitude for you mm-hmm. that you're doing this <laughs> amazing work I'm very excited that you might teach my son <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste away but yeah maybe yeah. it's highly rewarding like I as I said, like I got into teaching fairly recently. Like I, I'm, I'm a new teacher, and it's exhausting. Like the mm. amount of emotional energy that you spend is ridiculous, but it's also very, very rewarding, and yeah. it's really, really fun. I want to jump to university now. Oh Lord! And, okay. Uh, you said you know you wanted to do something of service, and uh, mm-hmm. that's but you weren't quite sure teaching was for you. How did you pick? And what did you pick? Uh, in a very me fashion, when I graduated high school, my parents, like in South America, there's this very, or at least that was my perception at the time. Like it is either you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, mm-hmm. or any of those, like, or an engineer. I can't do math. First, save my life. And I was like, well, engineering is um, And I actually wanted to study um, English um, and do literature and my one of my parents said I was like well you need to live with something I was like okay great I'm 17 I have no idea what I want to do and I went for one of the classics and I was like well I'm a fairly argumentative person and the (laughs) you know stock market seems interesting and I started in economics and I failed miserably like terribly and I was, again, 17, moving to the capital in Colombia because I did one semester at home. Because hmm. I did, I, again, I started coming to Canada when I was 14, 15 to spend time with my dad. Hmm. Um, 
but I was never comfortable enough staying. And I was like, I don't want to move here. I don't want to move here. And I just kept putting it away and putting it away. And so I was like, okay, I want to study in Colombia. And I started in economics and I failed miserably, like just atrociously. It wasn't for me. And like the first day that I went into class, I was like, say what now? Like, this Mm -hmm. is what it is. I don't get to like say like sold or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, bye, bye. Yeah, like that's what I had in my head. And the fact, and like, I think I said that in the university interview and the lady probably looked like, who's this idiot? But they were paying the tuition. So yeah, let her in. And like, I, it just wasn't for me. And I was, it was the first time that I was away because I moved by myself and I was away from my mom and my brother and just like in this huge city. And my anxiety just like mm-hmm. came out with like a wrath. I was like, hello, here I am. Mm-hmm. I was like, fudge, I can't do this. And so that, that didn't work out at all, at all. And my option at the point was like, well, you either move back to your city and study in one of the smaller universities or you move to Canada with mm-hmm. your dad. I was like, well, because ambitious as I am, I was like, I don't want to study in a small like university. Like, <laughs> no, I moved to Canada. So I finally did. I moved here with my dad. And I then, again, went for one of the classics. So I started poli-sci. That was a little bit better, but I didn't like it. And then my relationship with my dad wasn't the greatest. And to be fair to him, like he had made his whole, he had remade his life. Like he, he found a partner, he had a son and my, my baby brother was a baby. And like, Mm -hmm. here I am coming at 17, 18 years old to disrupt their entire living situation with again, a very opinionated 17 year old who thought like everything she said, it was gospel. Mm -hmm. And so we butted heads quite a bit. I think we had to go through the process of knowing that this wasn't a situation where he had the chance to re-educate me because I was Mm. already on the other side of teenagehood. It was like, "Mm, too late. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we butted heads quite a bit. And then I moved out because we just weren't a good fit. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I took a year off. And then I was like, well, actually, all I wanted to do is go into... Uh, English and study literature so since I'm paying my own dues I'll do that and mm. I started there and I did fairly well and then I did start a minor in speech language sciences and oh, ling- cool. sorry in linguistics and I was like actually linguistics is my thing like mm. I really like this I transferred universities to make it my major and then I was like well I'm not gonna end up in Papua New Guinea studying languages but I did want it to finish in linguistics and I was like, okay, what's the way to make this really cool thing that I'm studying out of the genuine desire of learning mm-hmm. into a job? How do I make this a job? And so I did speech language sciences as a minor. Um, and I worked, after I graduated, I worked as um, early intervention therapist for kids with um, autism spectrum disorders. Uh, and I did that for a while. I was like, well, I actually do like teaching because that's not pretty much what I was doing was teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did inclusive education. And then I finally decided to get my B.Ed. And so I got my B.Ed. And now here I am as a teacher. So wow, as, wow, as wow, I wow. do, yeah, <laughs> as I do everything, it just takes 25,000 steps uh, rather than just a single straight line. <laughs> but that's how I ended up here. 
I think the straight line is overrated. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a mythical straight like, line. <laughs> no kidding. That we are kind of told exists, but it doesn't really. But I love like the journey that you went on to yeah. through that. Um, I want to go to the speech therapy part. Okay. Sure. And can you tell us a bit more? What did that look like? So when I was in university, I started um, sort of like an internship as uh, an assistant for two language pathologists and they were studying um, just language delays and d- different disorders and they had an intervention group and it was really really cool and I'm like I'm still at awe that that was what I was doing when I was like 20 21 I was like who why did they decide to give me the chance because I wasn't as I said like <laughs> in my head I wasn't particularly bright and I wasn't particularly like I don't know, like anything that stands out. And they gave me the opportunity to work with them. And it was really, really cool. And that's how I decided that I wanted to do something with language pathologies. And then when I graduated from linguistics, I I applied to a local organization and they hired me. And my job was really a whole bunch of things. So I, I implemented like what the OT said, what the speech pathologist said, the psychologist said, and we what we did was take kids that had just recently been diagnosed and try our best to help them um, gain as many skills as they could by the time they got to um, preschool and kindergarten age so that they mm. could be integrated in a program and aside from a whole other host of things so i think that was really really fulfilling and it was really cool um and the biggest piece was working in the family's homes because i went to the homes and sort of worked with the family and the kiddo which again thinking about that being 20 something and not a parent and not even remotely close to being a parent going in being like, well, actually, this is what we're supposed to do to parents that are not only navigating the grief of a diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but also that are trying to navigate the fact that they have a child with different needs and that learns differently. And I hear I'm a 20-year-old or something and just be like, this is what we need to do. Um, It was an interesting position to be in. And then that made me want to be a speech pathologist and I tried a couple of times. It's a highly competitive program. Um, and so I had applied a couple of times. I got waitlisted once, um, which kind of goes on like the tick that I put in my imaginary list because I didn't think that that was even possible. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I didn't really manage to get into the program. And so after that, I just decided that it was a dream for another day and went into teaching. How do you, like, these are very young kids then, before preschool. Very, very. Like, two, three years old. I'd imagine besides the, let's say, scientific language type knowledge that you had to know about, like, how to, what they needed to know, how best to, um, how best to teach them and all this, you have to be able to connect with them, which is not easy. And get them motivated to learn. Is that yeah? But like, because they're so little, it was it was play based. So a lot of my time was spent being like, "You want to spin this car? 
and maybe we can get some language prompting in there. That's that's our day. <laughs> or and, and it was it was a great school for me to sort of learn how to be patient and just take a breather and allow things to unfold at their own time rather than pushing for my own agenda and like don't get me wrong like we did and we had a lot of like that behavior um sort of reinforcement and and there was a whole bunch of things that happened within our therapy sessions but it was just cool to be in a position where I would gain the trust of someone so little that is as we were saying earlier like navigating being overstimulated mm -hmm. and feeling big, big feelings and not being able to communicate them mm -hmm. And that was, that was really cool. Like being in a space where it's like, I don't, like we're not communicating in the typical way and there's not a lot of like verbal exchange happening, but there's a whole bunch of like language and nonverbal cues that are happening. And we will have entire conversations without saying a single mm -hmm. word. Um, and I think that is, that is one of the most beautiful things that I experienced when I was a therapist was just knowing that I had the trust of this tiny little person that would feel safe because they were calm or because they could, um, you know, sit and play or do things that even their parents were like, they don't do that for me. Yeah. Um, that, that was really cool. And, and it was very rewarding. You have a job I guess a career doing something that you're already enjoying you find fulfilling what was the final thing that like what what was the turn that you said I, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna go back to school to be a teacher mm, originally the bug started hitting because i would see the kids so by by the time they are they were ready to transition out of the program the board the, the education system would come and observe them. And so knowing what went into that and knowing how that happened, the, the bug was like, well, I have a set of skills that I have learned because of this. Maybe I could do more. Maybe I could go into a classroom that has different needs and is differently abled and I can help there and do that. And then... When I went into school for ed, I and taking a time apart was also a realization of I'm exhausted and it's emotionally mm -hmm. exhausting. And so that was the first time that I was like, I love what I do and I love the kiddos that I work with, but I can't do this sustainably for, you know, for, I don't know, 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so being in a classroom was a like was a little bit of a step, not necessarily away, but just a little bit sideways. Uh, that would allow me to do the same thing sustainab more sustainably, that's what I thought. Um, and to help kids that were, you know, othered um, in a different capacity. Or in my head, at least, it felt like it was just the extra layer of being able to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up in just a regular classroom, which it's interesting because there's so many different needs and so many ways of learning. And a classroom right now doesn't 
look like a classroom in you know like the 90s even mm-hmm. like it just doesn't it's highly integrated it has a whole bunch of needs has kids with different ways of learning and so it was just a step sideways it wasn't a step away from what i was doing i imagine uh in the therapist role you'd see those kids kind of move on and i would feel the urge to like go with them like make sure that they're mm-hmm. continued to get what we've been working on yeah i would i think i'd imagine myself having that urge and and that was that was the initial bug it was like well i gotta goodbye. go with them. Yeah. yeah i have to go with them <laughs> Good can luck. i come can i come help you yeah and then of course, like I had to go back to school and it was two years of schooling. And when I came on the other side, I was like, well, maybe that urge is not as prevalent as it was when I applied to at school. Yeah. But it's still there in the sense that I, I still have the same feeling of wanting to help mm-hmm. kids. And I think it's it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but it is a vocation. Like I genuinely enjoy what I do. And even if I like break down and I have like a crisis and I cry and I feel like I'm the worst person ever, I get up and be like, okay, Monday. And, and then I'll just go and hang out. Because mm-hmm. uh, teaching for me is just hanging out yeah. and learning something cool and just having conversations with people that are just navigating their own learning journey and yeah. are just slightly further back than where I am. But yeah. we're all learning we're all in it yeah so so i really enjoy it that's amazing so i hope i hope the feeling never goes away and i don't think it will i think i i finally reached my destination of where i want to be mm-hmm. and what i want to do and i think it is sustainable like i think about it i'm like yeah, i could do this for 20 odd years mm-hmm. it's like sure good for you yeah well, i'm happy that you found that it's been a journey yeah. <laughs> yeah but good for you right for keeping going through it because i think it's easy to get stuck and like the idea of going back to school to do what you want is someone that always uh i i I admire a ton because it's so easy so much easier to just feel like well my time is gone like i'd made the decision and now i have to live with it (laughs) see but like for me it's always been the opposite like i feel like because i've and I think that's also something that I've started to recognize about myself is that I'm, I'm actually really resilient. And I would have never said that in a million years. I don't like even like a couple of years before, like acknowledging that I am resilient and I'm like, actually, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter how long it takes, but I'm going to do it. Um, I think it's what drives the fact that I don't mind going into school again at any point in my life like I was probably one of that's not true there, there were people that were older than me but but I was older than the average person that was going into my program and that didn't bother me at all because it was like yeah whatever I mm-hmm. it just takes me I'm a late bloomer it just takes me longer to get where I need to go um, but I'm still doing it so I for me super foreseeable that I would go back to school I don't yeah. know 40s 50s and I I don't feel like I'm wasting, you know, like my time has gone. I feel like mm-hmm. because it just takes me so long to figure out what I want to do in the first place that it's like, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I just I wouldn't feel like it's like, oh, it takes you you so long, like you're like or you're <laughs> explaining it. I would say it's like you allow yourself yeah. to make 
changes and continue to grow exactly. you don't feel stuck yeah mm. which it's it's a double-edged sword i think because i also feel like i'm really restless in where i am like so my partner and i have this conversation constantly because i when my birthday's coming up which is it's fairly soon i have this sort of thing where i just like start digging and was like i haven't done anything and i have nothing to show like i'm i'm turning this old and i have nothing to show and i just get into this pit of despair of like mm -hmm. i've done nothing and he's like seriously like yeah. when do you stop like <laughs> no like when do you feel fulfilled and okay because i like i not very long ago i was like i want to do another master's program he was like are you kidding me like you just <laughs> finished one yeah. like i'm like no but i want to like do this and i was like please just like stop for a second but there's so much more to learn <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and he's like where where do you feel like you've you've reached a destination and you're okay and i'm like ah, i don't know i don't know that feeling mm -hmm. and then i just get restless it was like well i still have stuff to catch up on and stuff to do and that's not necessarily the case like I could stop and I should be fine with it, but I don't know how to do that because I'm naturally restless. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, the next thing. Um, and then that whole discourse of I'm not enough comes out because it's like, I don't have anything to show. I'm this old and I haven't done anything. I'm mm -hmm. like, who are you comparing? Who's this magical being that yeah. you're comparing to that has all of these things to show by the time they reached your age yeah. um and it's like highly accomplished people that like mm -hmm. maybe wrote like i don't know like a novel prize winning <laughs> novel it's like seriously like you're just like a regular person like you're not einstein like and cool I'm, it. I'm willing to bet all of them have similar like jeff bezos and tolkien <laughs> yes. they're all sitting there thinking i should do more haven't done anything exactly <laughs> yeah <I've> done. <laughs> But yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think I'm, my, my schooling right now with myself and where I am in my learning journey is like, where do I get off the, you know, the little mouse wheel and I feel content with where I am? Because, mm. but to be, to be fair, like I felt like it wasn't enough and I wasn't doing and I wasn't progressing for so long and especially during my formative years that now as an adult where I, I do have some semblance of, success and that i'm actually chugging along and i'm fine but the growth i think comes in the journey yeah and i so. think that's what i've come to realize and like started to enjoy is that it's the journey because before it would just make me yeah. go into a spiral uh and now it's like no this is fun it's cool and, mm -hmm. and i enjoy it i just think of malcolm saying this is not a dress rehearsal mm. like people get to whatever mm -hmm. the end of their being and realize that was all like that was it yeah <laughs> so it's you're making the most of it and i respect that yeah thank you and stopping to also think like when when you tell a kid in your class that you have adhd and they say but you're a teacher doesn't that click something in your head about like what you've done already at your young age could be inspirational to others yeah but that's that's the thing like i don't think i don't consider myself an inspiration to my kids like they just think i'm just this <laughs> dull random person that just stands in front of them and, and they make you know that in all seriousness like i don't feel like i'm an inspiration to anyone like i don't i'm just as i said just putting around just like going about my day like i don't i don't think i'm i'm inspiring i'm just like no it's fine like 
you can do whatever you want regardless of how your brain functions and it's fine and i think that's the conversation that we have and and again goes with uh, the whole notion of like allowing yourself to feel and to go through the journey and have a growth mindset in that i can't do x y or z yet but with someone that is willing to to hold my hand or to guide me or if i have a team of people around me i could absolutely do it um and that's i think that's more the conversation that i'm happy to to have and and maybe discuss with the kids rather than be like look at me i'm such an inspiration <laughs> be inspired by my existence like i never, i would never get to that point. like i don't i don't feel like that's what i do studying education yes you'd already been let's say on the field teaching kids yes for some time um what did you learn studying education that you find most valuable in the classroom every day um what did i learn i think the conversations with people that had done it for a while and so the the school that took me in as a student teacher had a huge influence in who i am as a teacher my teaching philosophy because of the people that i met um and it's funny how i got there because the school that i was at they they asked me i was like well can you speak another language and can you do this and i was like well yes i do speak other languages but i don't want to be typecasted into this one language because i would just like you know like yeah. i was very apprehensive of the fact that they were just gonna see well i speak spanish or i'm bilingual or whatever and that's where i was gonna go and mm -hmm. so when i was sent to this school it was a spanish school and i was like well here we go like i'm never gonna get out of this i'm never gonna be able to teach in another environment this mm -hmm. is not the environment that i want to teach in i want to teach a special education class and i was really upset yeah. and so much so that i was like you need to change me i don't want to do my practicum here and blah blah, mm -hmm. blah blah and then i got there and i started meeting the other teachers and the teachers that were sort of forming me as an educator mm -hmm. and it was such a gift just to listen to them and be in an environment that was so healthy wow. and it was the environment that I needed to be like oh actually this is what I want to do and yeah. I made the right decision and this is the type of teacher that I want to be and these are like the things that I I sort of bring into my practice and I remember one of the teachers um, he's very philosophical and a rebel at heart. And I remember I was just like having lunch and just talking about random things and the table was very political. And I was like, well, teaching is a rebellious act. Like you, you are a rebel by nature because you teach, again, you teach who you are, but, but, but is this sort of like going against the the system and that you're trying to force kids to use their brains and think for themselves mm. so you can give them whatever information you want but if you're allowing them to have debates and to question you then that's when you've done your job yeah and that was like that is exactly what i'm doing like that's that's what i want to do and so <laughs> that was i think having that environment was very I don't want to say inspirational, but but it was it was very soul fulfilling and very like it, it just feed feeds into what what I wanted to do and the reason why I was there. Um, it, and it was very funny that I I was fighting it so much and I didn't know that was the environment that I needed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's validating. Yeah, it was very validating. And now, not every school is the same. Not every like you 
for all human and you encounter all kinds of people but I was very uh lucky that I encountered the people that I did that that were willing to help me grow and find my voice and find my teaching philosophy in the way that I did and so even now the environment that I am in is I shouldn't say strict, but it's very organized and mm. has really high expectations and highly functional. And as as teachers, we are like put through those expectations and you're expected to perform mm. um, to a certain standard. But, but the people that I have around that sort of hold my hand and especially the, the more seasoned teachers that are like, no, it's it's okay. Like, these are growing pains and yeah and it never goes away and you're you're doing the job because it, it hurts and because you're feeling it and mm-hmm. because you're going through all of these emotions um is very validating and so that environment i think i'm super grateful for it's amazing yeah. we spoke about like the network the people you surround yourself with and how powerful and important it is yeah having people in my corner and it's like actually you're doing okay and they are learning and yeah. they, they are having fun and they enjoy the space that they're in and they feel safe and they feel like their questions are valid and, and their inquiry is valid. And like, okay, cool. So yeah. so I'm not just ruining this entire generation of children that is yeah. going through my classroom, <laughs> but they're doing, they're okay and they're learning. So so that that is very validating. Right now we're writing report cards and it's really tricky and the language is very specific mm. and this is like, I haven't done it for that long, so it's still something that I'm navigating yeah. how to write. And I just felt so incompetent. I was like, that's it. I'm quitting. This mm-hmm. is not for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I had one of my one of my people say, it was like, uh, actually, my kids said this about you. Mm. And they absolutely love you. And they love coming to school. Mm. And that was just a pick-me-up that I sort of needed. And I was like, actually, I don't, I don't do this. To write report cards, I yeah. do this to hang out with the kids. But yeah, I just needed that little pick me up. We all do. <laughs> yes, I think. There's been times in my life where I thought maybe I should go teach. Maybe, maybe you should. Yeah. But I always have this thing that stops me or has stopped me, and it was, what if they, ask, what if my student asks me a question I don't know? Then you say we'll learn together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, if must, yeah. what if I don't know everything? Yeah, what yet? if they break me? <laughs> It's probably more powerful for them to hear you say, I don't know, but we'll learn it. Let's figure it out. Yeah, like for us to have those moments where like, actually, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's find out together and like, I'll like put Google on the screen and be like, I, I genuinely don't know. Thank yeah. you for asking that question because you're helping me grow. Yeah. Um, and we'll have a discussion about it. And that those have been my favorite moments wow. um, where it's like, I get on the spot and like I can prepare my lessons as much as I want and I can do all of these things to prepare and avoid the anxiety of being like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but when they, they do happen, it's, it's just the way that you react of like, whoa, that's a stupid question. Mm-hmm. Or like, just be be genuine and have that, that moment of vulnerability and be like, I don't know. Yeah. I'll look it up or we can look it up together. Yeah. But I don't have all the answers. The fact that I'm a teacher is not ubiquitous with all knowing. Mm-hmm. It's 
it doesn't mean that I'm without fault or like yeah, that I know everything. Yeah, I'm a superhero. Like, no, far from amazing. I'm, and I say like I call my kids dodos, and they laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have this big mat in my classroom that has puffins because it's a map of Canada, and so in. <laughs> like the islands out east there's like little puffins on top yeah. and they think that that's a dodo bird i was like no dodos are extinct <laughs> and they're like yeah that one I was like no they're puffins <laughs> those are puffins uh but then it's become part of our banter that it was like oh we're such dodos just because like they're extinct and they're they uh-huh. were sort of perceived as sort of silly and um, and they called me there and was like, Senor, I think you're being a dodo right now. That's amazing. You're gonna, you're gonna go extinct. I was like, yeah, eventually, <laughs> eventually I will. Yeah, be so, careful. Yeah. You kind of mentioned it already, but if you um, talk a bit more about how is school different now than when you were going to school, like as an institution, as a system, maybe some differences Canada versus Columbia or the different schools they actually went, but how do you see it as different? I think you hit the point right there. Like I have to make a distinction between the two places I grew up in, like South America is very, and, and I don't want to do a blanket statement because I, like, I only know the reality of Colombia and especially the reality of the city and the school that I grew up in, but it's very um, normative. Like you go, you do well, this is what you do, and doing well and performing only looks the one way. And so even talking to my mom, now that I'm an adult and I went through all this hurdles and like through the whole journey, her and I get to this point of, I think it's been a gift that I finally got to a point where, or a country where there's a little bit more awareness of different needs and different learning styles. Uh, because I like even now in Colombia I have a little cousin that I'm sure has some sort of diagnosis she's undiagnosed but she's struggling so much and the school that she's in um they they for example they were saying it was like well you need to fail the grade mm-hmm. I was like well how is that equals help? to my ability to perform mm-hmm. and how is that going to solve the issue like it doesn't and so obviously there's a whole bunch of repercussions that are coming out of that but talking to my mom about my little cousin's experience it was like she has no help like no one in the school has said hey how do you learn how do you remember what can i do as an educator to help you go through this journey and teach you how to learn because ultimately that's what it's supposed to be about it's like Mm -hmm. there's all these ways of learning Mm -hmm. Uh, you pick what it's your pick your own journey like you Mm -hmm. pick what suits you and suits your needs and we were talking like in South America, I shouldn't say South America, in Colombia specifically, that's not the case. It's like, nope, this is the mold. This is what we do. These are the expectations. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I moved to Canada, that was the the biggest difference was the opportunity to one, talk about what my experience had been so far and to find resources that would allow me to learn and to learn how I learn. Because, you, you know, like sitting and, and writing lines on lines on lines to memorize something that is not learning. And and that was that was the biggest difference. It was that someone sat with me and taught me how to learn. Mm-hmm. And that was just life changing. And I don't think I would have had that had I stayed in Colombia. 
and I like to be honest at this point like no one will take that away from my train of thought and my mom and I talk about it quite often is I don't think I would have graduated university had I stayed in in Colombia or in South America I don't think I would have been able to be successful and I would be in a completely different path hmm. whereas I moved here and and I made the decision as a 18 19 year old to be like hey no this there's there's something different about my brain and how I function how I feel and the way that I process emotion and I need help in having those those aids and and just help around me allowed me to be truly whatever I wanted to be like I went through a process and again I'm super scattered minded but, but that was mine and mm-hmm. and I was holding the pan by the handle again and it wasn't just drifting um and I think that's something that that makes a difference in the system here and that is not to say that the system is perfect because it's not but at least even if the even if the resources are not perfect there's resources and mm-hmm. there is an acknowledgement of of different different needs and different ways of learning that you wouldn't find in Colombia necessarily mm-hmm. and that was i think that was the biggest heartache that i had when i was growing up was the the self-awareness of i know i function differently but me functioning differently is a fault and it's an issue that i need to resolve and it's an issue that i need to hide whereas here is like well if you need to pace while i'm talking go nuts go pace and that's mm-hmm. what if you walk into my classroom and looks like a circus because i have a kid that is pacing endlessly from one end to another i haven't have like four on wobbly stools i have like you know one sitting on a rocking chair the other one with like a fidget in their hand it's like i don't care however whatever you need to regulate your body mm-hmm. you do you friend as long as something is seeping in and as long as when you and me said to do an, an interview together to assess in like quotation works assess your learning i can get something from that and you're getting something from me mm-hmm. which is something that wouldn't have happened when i was little like that was just like absolute no no it's amazing that sounds like a really long way to go from yeah where you started mm-hmm. like both your understanding and your the impact that your environment uh, is creating and that you're able to be part of and create mm-hmm. as well do you identify as a teacher is that part of your identity no the short answer is yes but i also feel like as an adult you need to put a label on yourself somehow and even in social interactions you always put a label and that's how you sort of do the categorizing of people around you it's like well they're engineers Mm. they're teachers they are i don't know accountants they are this they are that and that is the first label that comes out but I think that if I were to label myself, the label would be that I'm a learner. And one of the biggest things that people say around like teaching and education is like, well, we are lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And then it isn't, it isn't. But but I guess, yes, like we are lifelong learners. And that's definitely how I see myself. It's like, I like learning. And I think that's where I ended up because I like learning. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm teaching the same grade and I'm teaching the same thing that I taught last year, I'm learning new things and it's it's interesting because of that and I think that's part of my identity and it fits into the version of myself that I have in my head because I'm a learner now because I'm also me and I just hyper fixate on things I've found it really hard 
to compartmentalize it and put it within the space that it needs to live in. So it has seeped into a lot of spaces in my life that make it or that put at risk the fact that I want to do this sustainably. And so one of the things that I've been talking with my partner is that even if I don't feel like it's a job and I'm just cutting or doing anchor charts or like doing something for school at 10 at night and it doesn't feel like it's a job because I'm watching whatever show, I'm still working and I'm still doing stuff and I don't know how to turn it off. Or like over the weekend, I'm like, oh, this cool thing about like, you know, social studies. Like right now we're talking about the Indian Act and it was like, this is the cool thing and I can find the documentary and we can talk about this and we can have this debate. It was like, I don't know how to turn that off. And so the fact that teaching is is being ingrained into how I see myself and and how I perceive myself as as a person is is all consuming and that needs to be brought down and put into somewhat of of a fence and a boundary so that I can do it sustainable over time because if not I'm gonna burn out which is exactly what I was battling with this week is that I I haven't been able to do that and I haven't been able to do other things that I want to do like I don't know like I and I'm starting to feel guilt for doing other things so I had to plan and I was feeling guilty that I had to go grocery shop or it's like oh well I can't go to the gym because I have to do this one thing Mm -hmm. and it's like those two Mm -hmm. things should coexist within the person that I am Mm -hmm. and that is the sort of like the the schooling and the work that I'm going through is like it's okay like it doesn't have to be all consuming and it doesn't have to consume you for you to show that you enjoy it and for you to validate yourself that you're doing a good job mm-hmm. and and that's a tricky line to, to sort of walk so the answer is yes teaching is definitely part of my identity I don't want it to be my whole identity because I'm more than that wow wow indeed <laughs> what, a, what a good answer I know you're a language expert, and that comes really. into your everyday life. Not really. <laughs> well, how about this? You studying I'm an language. Enthusiast. Studying language made you very aware of language. Yes. How does that come into your everyday life? It can be really obnoxious <laughs> because I correct people, or I say, actually, the etymology <laughs> of this word is blah blah. You're using it wrong, and then that drives my partner nuts. Like, we, we both have accents, because English is our second language. And, um, but sometimes he would say something funny, and I can't let it go. Like, I just can't let it go. It's like, the accent goes here. And I was like, <laughs> I hate you so much. Like, stop it. Um, so, yeah, I can be a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> You're not obnoxious. <laughs> but are you, like, a more aware? Like, does it uh, about your own use of language? Yes. A hundred percent. Do you have to use, like, precisely the right word? Not necessarily, but then it would drive me nuts if I can't find yeah. the right way of expressing mm-hmm. myself. And, and like, there's another thing. Like, I had to learn when I was, like, in school and doing linguistics and just, like, obsessed with languages and ha- the inner workings of languages. I used to have a very, like, pedantic, like, academic way of talking. It was like, no wonder I have no friends. I sound like an idiot. <laughs> like, no one talks like that, like cool down and especially in Spanish I would use words that are like not this they're not uncommon it's just that it's like more like two three degrees of synonyms than normal people would use and then my partner goes like seriously like (laughs) come on 
Um, so that drives people nuts. But yes, I'm I'm more self-aware. Plus, I find it fun. Like it is it is this like game that I play with myself. Like how can I describe this in different ways without using the same word? So I just obsess about it. <laughs> it's fun though. I could see it being a game, like yeah. a fun game. Yeah. I heard someone use alas. But alas. I say that. <laughs> and I was like, I hope I can work that into a conversation. I say that all the time in school and the kids don't know what alas means. Yeah. And so I said it last week, actually. <laughs> we we were talking about something and then I was like, alas, our time has come to yeah. an end. And they were like, Amazing. what does alas yeah. mean? Because they're 10. I'm like, of course. Because we're 10. Why would yeah. you use such an expression? But now all yes. those kids are going to go home and say, but alas, <laughs> it's bedtime. <laughs> For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. I love it. I'm gonna rephrase this one a little bit. Sure. Uh, if you could say something to a ten-year-old out there, what would you say? To let their mind go wild. Like it's okay to be curious, and it's okay to you know to want to do things. Like I, I was just talking to a coworker, and I teach her son, and he. Uh, he's just such a scientific brain and earlier in the year he came home and he told her that I was the first teacher that told him that he was brilliant and that he could do something I was like hey your work is really good Mm -hmm. like we great kids from one to four I was like this is a four like great job you're doing great and Mm -hmm. he just has this naturally just scientific mind and somehow along the way he had this perception of himself that that wasn't okay and it wasn't okay to be curious Mm. and you asking that question i think of him i was like he's such a brilliant mind like he can build things and i can totally see him as an inventor Mm -hmm. but because we tried to put kids into this box of well you need to behave and you need to be quiet and you need to do all of these things and Mm -hmm. sort of mask who you are that I fear that we we kill that that natural curiosity mm-hmm. um, in in the path of growing, and and that almost happened to me for the kiddos in my class that are actually ten. I was like, just go nuts, let it let it see it to the end, like let that that thought bake and and come to fruition. How mm-hmm. are you going to get there and problem solve? Because that's that's ultimately what life is about it's mm-hmm. like figuring out the, this one stream of thought figuring out where it's going to take you mm-hmm. so i would say just yeah run wild amazing i love yeah. it i knew that your answer would apply to everyone it's mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so a good bet that's why i asked it <laughs> well you you said that you don't see yourself as inspirational i would argue that until i'm blue in the face i think you <laughs> very much are very inspirational. I I hope that you stay where you are for at least three years so that yes. my son can <laughs> experience the amazing Stephanie. Yeah. And thank you for joining us. Oh, this is it's amazing. been a pleasure. Yay. And being so open. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you.